Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. This is Robert Rogers. Our guest today was scheduled to be Matt Ford, who is an assistant professor from the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. Dr. Ford has been doing some quite fascinating research with regard to the use of music as a facilitator of individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's. The other little piece of this story is Matt Ford happens to work because he's at the University of Alabama in Birmingham, in Alabama, where there is a huge snowstorm today, which has interrupted his ability to actually get to his office. Apparently, classes have been canceled, and it has wreaked havoc on everyone's lives. So, uh, Dr. Ford is not going to be able to be a guest on my regularly scheduled show which airs at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on each and every Wednesday of the week, a show that's dedicated to being able to provide help and support to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. I do have another incredible, exciting announcement, however, and that excitement turns out to be we will, holding the first Parkinson's Recovery Summit this spring. I've just created it. I just invented it. This will be one full day where everyone who's interested in meeting other individuals who currently had the symptoms of Parkinson's will be able to do just that. I'm inviting all of the guests who I have had on my radio show over the last several years to come to Vancouver, Washington. That's not Vancouver, Canada, but rather Vancouver, Washington, which really is a very short 15-minute ride from the Portland, Oregon airport. And at Vancouver, Washington, we are convening together a critical mass of individuals who are all committed to their own recovery programs in their own individual ways. The cost of this particular summit is nothing. It's free. It costs absolutely nothing to come and participate this, this entire event is being sponsored by Parkinson's Recovery. We will be following up the summit with our annual 2011 Jump Start to Wellness program, which is a two-day program. But the summit will be the day before a full day of engagement with other individuals who are currently on the road to recovery. So to be clear uh, with everyone, when you come to this particular event, it's not about selling anyone anything. We're not going to have representatives of retirement homes or people trying to sell wheelchairs or individuals who are from drug companies. There are not going to be any of those kind of vendor displays at all. This is literally just an opportunity to connect with other individuals, some of whom you have heard me interview on the radio show, so you can connect and you can actually get the real scoop about whether in, what other individuals are doing to get relief from their symptoms. So look out for the announcement. We are settling in now on the day that we're going to hold the summit. It will be this spring, 2011. It will be the event of all events dedicated to be able to provide the support you need in order to be able to sustain your own recovery programs. This is Robert Rogers, this is Parkinson's Recovery, and what we're going to do today on the show is play an interview with Dr. Lori Mishley, who is a naturopath physician from Seattle, Washington. Now, what makes Dr. Mishley special, uh, it turns out to be that she is the author of the recently issued book, Natural Therapies for Parkinson's Disease. She also has extensive experience in providing assistance and help to individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's currently. That really happens to be the focus of the work that she does as a naturopath doctor. 
So what I'm going to do now is to play this interview with Dr. Michelet, which originally aired on my program in June of 2010. It is an incredible interview by a most incredible individual. This is Robert Rogers. I'm Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is Dr. Lori Michelet. I'd like to read to you her mission statement. And it's the following. Dr. Mishley is a resource for the unconventional and is willing to think outside the box. Her goal in healthcare is to educate, integrate, and stimulate. Dr. Mishley, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for the invitation. You are a naturopath doctor. Now, what's the difference between a medical doctor and a naturopath doctor? Good question. So, there are four naturopathic medical schools here in the United States, and there are two more in Canada. And they are four-year post-baccalaureate degrees, just like conventional medical schools. The first two years are very, very similar. Same classes, same textbooks, same you know anatomy, histology, physiology. We do things pretty much the same for the first two years. Um, where, where it gets different are during the last two years where conventional MDs tend to put more emphasis on rotation, specialization, the tools in their toolbox are drugs and surgery. Our last two years, the emphasis is on the interrelationship between everything that we've studied thus far. You know, what is the relationship between biochemistry and neurology? Um, we do a lot more with um, different tools in the toolbox. We learn chiropractic adjustments. We learn herbal medicine. We learn pharmaceutical drugs. We learn the minor surgery. We learn, it, it's truly eclectic. Um, the goal of the naturopathic medical education is to, as much as possible, draw from all schools of thought over the last you know, several thousand years and take the best of each one. Um, it's, it's truly a philosophical difference. I don't know that, um, you know, when you when you sit down and talk to two doctors about headaches, so it's, it's the difference tends to be more um, symptom management on their part. They're trying to make the headache go away. We put more energy into figuring out why are you getting headaches. I, I liken it to a sports team playing offense and defense. We tend to play a little bit better offense. They tend to play a little bit better defense. And obviously, neither is exclusively one or the other. Beautiful analogy. I, I, I will. I will add one more thing to um, just to clear up the confusion for patients. But there are 15 states here in the United States where naturopathic physicians are licensed primary care providers, covered by insurance in some states, able to write prescriptions in some states. Um, and in the states where naturopathic medicine is not licensed, naturopathic doctors can mean a lot of different things. Some of them have gone to four-year medical schools. Others have gotten their naturopathic doctor certificate through a mail-order program on the Internet. And, and my intention is not to belittle the mail-order program, but just to let people know that if, if you happen to live in an unlicensed state, um, that you really need to not assume that anyone who calls themselves a naturopath or a naturopathic doctor or ND has the same level of training. If, if you live in a state like Washington or Oregon or Hawaii where, where we're licensed primary care providers, anyone who says I'm an ND has gone to the four-year medical school, they've passed their boards, they meet certain, you know, uh, they keep their license up every year, continuing education. That's not necessarily the case in all states. Your practice specializes in treating neurological conditions with a special emphasis on Parkinson's disease. What led you to focus your practice on Parkinson's and other related diseases of the neurological system? I like a challenge. I've always been interested in neurology. Uh, when I was at Penn State doing my undergraduate work in pre-medicine, I first uh, learned about a disease called synesthesia, where people's senses get mixed up. You start to smell colors and see sounds and um, I, I was absolutely fascinated by um, a disease that could shake up our foundational understanding of something as simple and straightforward, presumably, as the senses. And though that, that really pointed me towards neurology in the first place. And then, um, you know, honestly, what happened with Parkinson's disease is 
my first week of practice, I, I hit it off with a gentleman with Parkinson's disease, and um, I ended up spending quite a bit of time with him. And I, I was, I was, it, I wanted to help and do the best I could. I was a new doc, and he proceeded to go to you know 10, 15 different support groups in town over the next month, telling everybody you need to see Lori Michley. And um, it was it was great. I mean, what ended up happening was I had 50 patients with Parkinson's <laughs> my schedule in the first couple months of my practice, and and I I there is a Parkinson's personality, and it's a personality I very much like to work with. So it's it's been that path ever since. And this happened in Seattle, is that right? Uh, pardon? This happened in Seattle. In Seattle, in Seattle, it was in 2001. Tell us about your NIH study involving the use of, as I understand, glutathione nasal spray. So let me just um, review a little bit about glutathione so people know what we're talking about. But um, basically what happens in Parkinson's disease is for several decades we have known that the brain of people with Parkinson's disease makes an excessive amount of free radicals. Free radicals are, are kind of the bad guys, the fire in the brain. And, and antioxidants are responsible for quenching or putting out that fire. And, and so in Parkinson's disease, all Parkinson's researchers are on the same page. The Parkinsonian brain makes way too many free radicals and or does not have the antioxidant resources to put out that fire. And so they've tried, other researchers have tried vitamin C and vitamin E and Many antioxidants have been tried over the years for Parkinson's disease, and the results have not been very effective. And so um, what happened was in the late 1980s, a couple Italian researchers put two and two together and said, you know, what we haven't looked at is glutathione. Glutathione is the brain's primary antioxidant. It, our, it, is, it is our B antioxidant that is most responsible for putting out any free radical fire in the nervous system. And glutathione had never been tried in Parkinson's disease. The problem is it can't be absorbed orally. I can talk about that in a minute. And so what they decided to do is give people intravenous glutathione several times a day for a month, um, people who were newly diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and let's see what happens. And so this was 89, I think, was when their study was published. And what these researchers found is that People who received one month of intravenous glutathione had a 42% reduction in Parkinson's symptoms, and the benefits of that therapy lasted a month even after they stopped the IVs. And so, um, you know, there were many criticisms of the study. There was no control group. It was a very small study. But given the strong theoretical basis, um, it, it certainly warranted some follow-up. And on, honestly, this study really hasn't been followed up on since. And so, so what happened is that, that for those in the medical community, it was interesting, but nobody did much with it until David Perlmutter, who's a neurologist in Florida, started administering IV glutathione three times a week to people with Parkinson's disease. And what has happened over the last probably 15 years or so is, is um, between his personal, Dr. Perlmutter's statements and reports and patient reports, the, the anecdotal response of improvement has created quite a stir in the Parkinson's community. And so what we have is a lot of people asking for IV glutathione, a lot of neurologists, you know, trying to figure out, is, is this a therapy that I'm, I, I should be using? Is this a doctor who's just trying to make a buck? I mean, nobody has really been able to figure out what is going on with intravenous glutathione because nobody has gone on to study intravenous glutathione. And so, um, Several patients came to my office looking for IV glutathione, and I tried it with them on several occasions. And what ended up happening is um, it, it, it became impractical. Um, first, I felt like a drug dealer because people were coming in asking for their shot every two, three days. Um, the prescription is three times a week. It is very difficult to ask people who have a movement disorder to come into your office three times a week for a 20, 30-minute appointment. Um, and it gets expensive, even though glutathione itself is relatively cheap. Um, the clinic overhead, the cost of coming to the clinic, the provider's time, the you know taking vitals, making sure it, the act of administering an IV becomes very expensive over time. 
especially three times a week. And so it, it just became impractical and it was invasive. People don't like getting shots three times a week. And so about eight years ago, six years ago, I started looking for alternative ways to get glutathione into people. Um, and, and it can't, it is very, very poorly absorbed through the intestine. So that, that, there are a couple brands out right now who are, who are touting better GI absorption. But what ends happening is, one, we don't know that much gets from the gut into the bloodstream. And even once it's in the bloodstream, we're not convinced how that much makes it across the blood-brain barrier into the central nervous system. And so those were obstacles. You know, if I'm going to ask a patient to pay out of pocket for an experimental therapy, I want to have a little bit more confidence that it's reaching the body part I want it to reach. And so I, I wasn't thrilled about the oral options. The IV options were invasive and expensive. I tried working with a nebulizer and having people breathe it for a little while, but what happens is um, for the three body parts that rely on glutathione the most heavily are the lungs, the liver, and the brain. And a study came out showing that um, people who nebulize glutathione, basically most of our lungs are so depleted that when you give it to, when you breathe glutathione in through a nebulizer, um, your lungs are so thrilled to get a dose of glutathione, they use it all up before ever passing it. <laughs> That's really funny. And so, and so that deterred my thinking that this was ever going to make it to the brains of people with Parkinson's. And so, you know, after scratching my head and talking to a couple of pharmacists about what my options were, we decided to try intranasal glutathione. And, you know, just like an Akron bottle, you take it, you know, do a little squirt, inhale, sniff up the nose. Um, my hope was that we, we might might get it directly into the brain. And obviously, you don't get to use quite as much glutathione as if you're administering it intravenously. I was hoping that that would um, balance out with the fact that it was going straight to the brain. And the more I looked into it, the more plausible this become. What I um, what I didn't realize at the time I started this is that um, when you administer something intranasally, you completely bypass the blood-brain barrier, and that uh, and that it's possible for small water-soluble molecules like glutathione to to pass through the olfactory plate, diffuse across the olfactory plate, and directly go into the central nervous system. And so, once I started putting all these pieces together and realizing what you know really understanding what a valuable antioxidant glutathione was, how inexpensive it is, and how it might be as simple as a couple squirts up each nostril a couple times a day as a way to replenish glutathione stores, I took interest in it. Um, what, what is very well documented in the, in the conventional literature is that the first reported change that we're able to see in the, in the brain of people with Parkinson's is the loss of glutathione. What we know is that um, the loss of glutathione precedes anything else, formation of Lewy bodies, long before tremor sets in, and we know that the lower your glutathione, the more severe your disease and the faster your disease progresses. And so for me, it was just one of these one plus one equals two, equals two thoughts. Like, hey, if we know that to two about glutathione, why not try and replace glutathione levels? Could glutathione almost be like a nutrient deficiency in people with Parkinson's disease? It's something that we all make, it's something we all need, but people with Parkinson's seem to not have enough to get the job done in their brain. So what happens if we just replace that that molecule? And so this is this is the the basis of my study, and so what I'm going to do is first and foremost find out is this safe? I've been using it with patients for several years now. Um, in clinical practice, and, and it certainly, from my from from my clinical experience, seems safe. But um, research plays by slightly different rules, and I want to be very, very clean. I want to hold the the research question to very high standards. And the first place to start here is with a double-blind, placebo-controlled phase one study asking: Is intranasal glutathione administered to people with Parkinson's disease safe? And once we get the answer to that question, which I hope will be yes, it is, um, we will move on to a phase two study, which begins to ask the question, does it have some potential to change the course of disease in people with Parkinson's disease? And so even in the phase one study, I will be asking some questions about efficacy just to see if, see if we're moving in that direction. But the intention of this first study is simply, does it get absorbed and 
and is it safe? So there are a number of subjects who are currently enrolled in this study? Um, yes and no. No, there are no study subjects currently enrolled. Um, what we're waiting for is um, the FDA to give the stamp of approval on we, we, this, this product is safe enough for us to say you can use it in a study. And so it's a little bit interesting as um, the award that I just got is to the National Institute of Health wants to train more alternative medicine researchers. And so they, they asked for people who had a clinical experience um, who would be willing to shift away from practice into research. And so that was, that was the award that I received was, is, this is a research training award for myself. And so I'm, I'm in this unique spot where what is completely acceptable clinically, as I've been using intranasal glutathione for many years, many of my colleagues use intranasal glutathione, many of us use intravenous glutathione, um, completely standard of care in the alternative medicine community. I am suddenly, as a researcher, at square one, and I can't begin to use it until all the proper people in all the correct channels tell me it is okay to start to use this therapy. So in my private practice, I use it often, and many many patients that I work with are using it. In the study, nobody is using it yet. <laughs> That's really interesting. There are then uh, individuals who are naturopaths, uh, doctors, uh, and medical doctors in other states uh, who would also be able to get access to the nasal glutathione uh, technology and, and make that available to their patients. Is that correct? I, I see no reason why it, it wouldn't. You know, I had an email yesterday from a, a uh, local MD who asked, what, what is the prescription you call in? How can I call this in? I have a patient who's interested, and I explained to that doctor how to do it. I, I really look forward to more practitioners and patients exploring the possibility. I, I, I truly believe that it um, the benefits outweigh the risks, and, you know, that's Dr. Mishley, the physician talking, not Dr. Mishley, the researcher. Oh, right. The researcher is very open-minded to it. It may not be safe, and that's why the study needs to be done. So it's, it, it's an interesting transition for me. Really? But it's very clear in your own uh, practice, uh, the people who've actually had experience with this have seen uh, remarkable improvements. I, I have had one or two people complain of a little bit of nasal irritation, both of whom say if they take a day off, they're fine and can go back to the therapy the next day. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about, I, I think, um, if the question is, is it is my impression that it is in effect. To be clear uh, to listeners, uh, it's my understanding then that a person won't be able to walk into, for example, a drugstore like uh, a Walgreens and, and ask the uh, clerk, could I please have a glutathione nasal spray? <laughs> it's not going to work like that. No, it's gonna, absolutely uh, not. They're going to have yet. to. Uh, no, no, they're going to have to uh, consult with their either naturopath uh, physician or their medical physician medical doctor physician and uh, consult with them and see if they might be willing to do a prescription for them. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, prescriptions will always need to come from a compounding pharmacist. And anybody, if, if there are any physicians listening or any patients want to go to their physicians requesting this, what I would um, do is refer them to Key Pharmacy in Kent, Washington. It has by far the most experience with this and they're, they're familiar with my protocols and how I usually do this and I'm very very able to walk an uh, interested provider through um, the recommendations and recommended doses and concentrations. And so, um, it's key pharmacy in Kent. So that's K E Y. Yep. People will probably want to know what the number of key pharmacy is. Can you give that to folks? Oh, sure, sure. It's two zero six eight seven eight. Brew? In my experience, absolutely not. It actually really drives me nuts that physicians are so quick to tell people that um, the, the only thing that they know, which is, I don't know how to stop this. And and they put the, um, the spin on it, like because that particular physician doesn't know how to stop it, your fate is somehow 
set in stone, and and that is not at all my experience. Um, I there is so much research in in the conventional literature suggesting that you know mouse models of Parkinson's don't progress if you do this, or they don't progress if you do that. And what what we don't have are a lot of studies that show that humans don't progress if you do this or that. And that's why I'm moving over to a career in research is so that I can help do some of those studies. But but there is some very, very good preliminary data on many different therapies out there. And so we, we are in this in this state of, of the gold standard in research are are these double blind, placebo controlled, single agent trials. And the reality is there is no one pill, one herb, one drug that is going to make all of this go away. It's a really complicated disorder. And until we find a way to embrace truly applying stringent scientific methodology to these concepts of synergy where, you know, CoQ10 plus glutathione plus resveratrol might offer something that neither one of those do on their own. Um, are we really going to start to understand how to how to stop this disease? Um, I, I do not. I, I feel very strongly about not dangling carrots and saying, "Oh yeah, I know how to cure this disease. I know how to stop this disease." I don't. We're all trying to figure this out. It's a complicated disease, but I can absolutely say that it is not uncommon for patients to go years without a worsening disease. I have I have patients who are on less than 25% of the medications they were on four years ago, and they're less symptomatic today than they were four years ago, and that's off their medications. Does that mean the disease is reversible? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what it means, but it is absolutely not my experience that this is a one-way degenerative progressive disease. In working with Parkinson's patients, what therapies are helpful from your experience in particular? And I've got a list of different uh, therapies uh, that I wanted to uh, ask you about. For example, what about restless leg syndrome? So, so we know that to be associated with the loss of dopamine. Um, it's a little bit difficult to answer specific symptom questions, um, simply because that's not philosophic how I understand the disease. Um, they're truly symptoms, and my goal is not to treat the symptoms, it's to, to fix what's going on inside that is leading to a decrease in dopamine. So, so whereas you and I may both suffer a loss of dopamine, person, you may get depressed, I may get restless legs, and the person over here may develop a tremor. I think that these are just different manifestations of a similar underlying biochemical quirk. And so, you know, what, as much as possible, I try and rewind a little bit. When people come in and they say, here, here are my symptoms, what I try and do is, is understand the pathophysiology of each of those symptoms, what's happening inside your body that might lead to that symptom, and then get rid of the idea of treating the symptoms, not about treating the restless leg. Um, it, it, it's how do we fix, how do we improve the function of your system so that you don't have the loss of dopamine anymore. So I actually don't treat restless leg very differently than I treat many of the Parkinson's symptoms. I mean, I think that there's some very, very good data out there that, um, you, you know, restless leg syndrome it, it has been associated with iron deficiency. It's been associated with folic acid deficiency, B12 deficiency. And, and so I, I think that it's really important to make sure that some of the nutritional considerations in restless leg syndrome have, have been addressed. Um, and and uh, I was going to make a comment about the use of drugs. You know, I, I don't believe that anybody has restless leg syndrome because they have a requip deficiency. Um, but that said, I, I'm not opposed to the concurrent use of conventional and complementary medicines. I think that uh, a wise patient truly uses the best of all worlds, and the goal is to use whatever therapies work and are effective that have the lowest, the fewest side effects. And so I really encourage my patients to keep an open mind, not only about the different alternative therapies that I'm, I'm making available to them, but to keep an open mind about how to integrate what I'm proposing with their conventional therapies. It really does not need to be all or nothing, um, 
but I, I but I do think that um, my my bias is towards orthomolecular medicine. Is that a topic that you and your listeners are familiar with? Uh, not sure, but, but I think I'm sure for some people it would be. Okay, so so orthomolecular medicine is is a school of thought. Very, you know, it, it is just like uh, allopathic medicine or naturopathic medicine or chiropractic medicine. There's a school of thought um, that is that is orthomolecular medicine, and and whereas naturopathic physicians use a, a lot of ten, we're trained in herbs and adjustments and homeopathy and nutrients and pharmaceuticals. Um, I tend to not choose from the, that pot. Those are not usually the tools in my toolbox. Very, very, very rarely do I use herbal therapies. It's just, they're just not, that's just not my area of expertise. And so what I tend to do is be biased towards preferentially use orthomolecular therapies, which are the molecules that the body is familiar with. And so my background is in nutrition science. Um, I am very much interested in understanding the biochemistry and pathophysiology of what goes on. And so really 100% of what I do with patients has to do with understanding why what's going wrong is going wrong and how do we either replace the things that might be low or remove things that are too high. And and it has, um, very rarely do I, I, I'm very unlikely to use, if you were to come to me with depression, um, just as I'm not inclined to prescribe Prozac right off the bat, nor am I inclined to prescribe St. John's Wort right off the bat. It's just, in my mind, herbal therapies are just as much drugs as any pharmaceutical therapy. You don't have a deficiency of St. John's Wort causing your depression. My job is really to try and understand what's going on inside your brain and inside your body and with your life that's leading you to be depressed. And so really, I, I have a... I. My practice is very different than I would say even most naturopathic physicians. And so that's how I look at restless leg syndrome, how I look at depression, is, is really back to the biochemistry. What's going on here that might lead to this? We'll be right back with Dr. Lori Mesley after this short station break. From your experience, what has been most helpful in giving your patients relief from their symptoms? It's a great question and it's a very difficult question. Um, and the reason it's difficult is, is twofold. It's because every single patient I have ever seen with the diagnosis of Parkinson's has left my office with a different set of recommendations. No two patients are on the same protocol. I, I don't treat Parkinson's. I truly treat the patient who walks through the door. And so it's really hard to look back over the last 10 years and, and say, here are the things that make the most significant difference. And it's part of what led me into research is because I really do want to find the answer to that question. Um, my sense is that coenzyme Q10, and, and there are certain forms that I think are much more effective than others, um, but coenzyme Q10 and glutathione are the two most effective. Um, but I will also say that I, I do think that there is, I mentioned synergy earlier, I do think that, that there's synergy in the treatments and so that if you can get somebody's homocysteine level down, you can change the way they're eating. There's no doubt about it. People start feeling better over the course of six months or a year, and they have more energy, and they're, they're more responsive to the medications that they're taking and can sometimes use lower doses. I don't know if that because of any one ingredient in their treatment or, or everything that we're doing working together. But I would put coenzyme Q10 and glutathione at the top of that list. People ask me often, CoQ uh, enzyme 10, where can you get a good supply of that? Is there any particular answer to that that you found useful for people? Uh, again, another great question. Here, here is my understanding of coenzyme Q10. The brand that was used in the original Schultz study a few years back was Vitaline. Vitaline is owned by Integrative Therapeutics and it is available to most anyone, but Vitaline only sells to physicians and pharmacists. And so while you can you can get it online, you can, I believe Amazon usually sells it. I find a lot of my patients find internet sources of it. Um, that is the one that has, even though the data is preliminary, it is the one that has the best data behind it in terms of actually appearing to contribute to some benefit in Parkinson's disease. So what I have found is that people will come in having shopped around for the best D3 
deal on coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10 tends to be a very expensive nutrient. The doses, if one were to try and mimic the doses used in the Schultz study, it's going to cost between three and $500 a month. And so people will do a lot of shopping around to find the best deal. What I have found is that there are two companies who, who offer a unique delivery system. Um, they, they, it's some sort of a wafer that dissolves in your mouth. It's almost like a sweet tart or a lozenge. It appears, from my experience, that the companies who use that delivery system get the best response. I will have patients switch from brand A, B, or C over to Vitaline or Douglas Labs is the other one that I like. And people will come in saying they can feel a difference. Their partners can see their masked face disappearing. They have more energy. Um, and so, so I have so many times heard people comment that Douglas Labs brand is called Q-Melt or Vitaline CoQ10 wafers are so much more effective than the brands that they had been using that when people come in and ask me for that recommendation, I will always give them those two those two uh, brands as that's where I recommend. I, I almost feel so strongly about this that I say it's not worth your money to use the other brands. I would rather you use, people will try to target the 1,200 milligram dose. I will tell people that I would rather them use 300 milligrams of the high quality stuff than 1,200 milligrams of something less expensive and perhaps less bioavailable. Some people want to go cold turkey and stop taking their Parkinson's medications altogether. They're tired of the side effects. Is this a smart thing to do? Probably not for most people in most circumstances. It really is ultimately going to depend on the person and the dose and the type of medication that they're on. Um, if, if, say, somebody's on six Cinemet per day, levodopa per day, um, absolutely not a smart thing to do. Um, and they'll feel it. Within a day, they'll, they'll feel absolutely terrible because their body has come to have a, a dependence on a supplemental form of dopamine. And so um, what, what has happened in a couple studies, it's, it's actually very neat, um, but there have been a couple studies on a product called citicoline that allows people to reduce their levodopa dose. And what we've found in the studies is that as you increase, as, as, you, as you improve your underlying cell function, what will happen is you will first start to have more side effects to your conventional medications. And so what they found in, this, in, this, in these acetylcholine studies is that people who were on levodopa within a month started to get terrible dyskinesias. It was almost as though whereas they had been appropriately medicated and treated with levodopa at day one, after a month of, of nutritional supplementation of a certain type, um, they started to be over-medicated, whereas you know, six pills of levodopa was working for them before. Now six pills of, dopa, six pills of levodopa is, making, is creating a whole bunch of side effects, and they have no choice but to reduce the dose because they're now over-medicated. And so I will often talk to patients about that in advance, saying the goal here is not to deprive, deprive yourself of dopamine. Nobody wants you uncomfortable. It's not good for your body. You're not doing your body any favors to experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. The goal is your body's functioning so well that you don't need that much supplemental dopamine. A lot of docs also will um, give their patients a little flexibility with how they dose their medications, um, depending on how how well how familiar the individual is with their own body and, and the medications, and so many doctors will say, you know, take take another pill every three to four hours as needed, or um, or you know, have take your first pill sometime between eight and ten a.m. depending on what time of day you start to become most symptomatic. And that is, that is the norm in my practice. Most of my patients are actually experienced with um, taking a little more medication as needed or a little less as needed. And so what we like to do is, is let the body guide their needs and, and look back over the last three months and say, oh, look, you know, three months ago you were taking six pills a day. These last couple of weeks you've only been taking four pills a day and you're no more symptomatic than you were before. And so that's, that's the goal is, is to actually see a slow, steady trend in the right direction because the body is, is functioning better.
not because you're depriving yourself of something you need. Can drug interactions be a problem for people who have the symptoms of Parkinson's? Oh, sure, um, which is why it's really important to work with um, doctors who, who are familiar with complementary and alternative medicine. I mean, this is certainly a problem with the conventional world among hundreds of drugs. Um, but, you know, everything from tyramine-containing cheeses are contraindicated for some medications. and so, so the degree to which somebody has to tiptoe around different drug interactions really, again, depends on the meds that they're on, the doses that they're on, and the individual's body. Um, but specifically where alternative medicines are concerned, um, there, there are some natural therapies that work exactly like levodopa does. And so any place where levodopa is contraindicated, so would you need to be more cautious with macuna or fava beans or certain, or certain dopamine-containing nutritional supplements. Um, also, things like coenzyme Q10 have a um, very, very potent ability to interact with something like warfarin, coumadin, which many people are on. And so what, what's happening is we have more and more people looking towards alternative therapies, but conventional physicians not necessarily keeping, keeping up, to, up to date on all of the nutritional um, interactions drug nutrient interactions to watch out for and you can't expect them to that's, that's not um, we're all doing the best we can to stay on top of the information regarding the tools in our toolbox and so so this is why I think it's in everybody's best interest to have both a conventional neurologist on their team and an alternative medicine practitioner who specializes in nutritional medicine and know and can look out for potential interactions and can counsel patients on oh, you're on Coumadin, here's why we need to approach the coenzyme Q10 supplementation issue much more cautiously than we otherwise would have. And so, um, yeah, there are, there are many, many drug-nutrient interactions and, and some beneficial. For instance, um, levodopa is the most uh, commonly prescribed therapy and most effective therapy for Parkinson's disease. And it is well established to interfere with folic acid metabolism and some um, studies suggest B6 metabolism. And so this is one of those instances where it, we know that people on levodopa are ultimately going to be depleted in folic acid. We also know that de folic acid depletion is, is bad news for Parkinson's disease progression. And so in my practice, every person on levodopa must be on a folic acid supplement. And so what I'll do is I'll measure homocysteine levels. There are a couple different ways to keep keep tabs on is somebody taking enough folic acid. But this is an example of you know not a not not so much a scary interaction. Don't use the nutrient; it might interact with something. But if you're on these medications, you have to use some extra nutrients because you're being depleted faster than somebody who is not taking levodopa. And it doesn't mean that levodopa is bad or that you shouldn't take it or you have to be afraid of it. It's just you need to take certain nutrients if you are on levodopa. We'll be right back with Dr. Lori Mishley after this short break. I'm Robert Rogers, and you've been listening to a show that I aired back in June of 2010 where I interviewed Dr. Lori Mishley, who is a naturopath doctor from Seattle, Washington. On my show next week, you're going to be listening to my interview with Bobby, who is now, today, symptom-free. He's going to be talking about how he is suspecting that he has made that possible. It'll be quite a fascinating interview. I'm also hoping I'll be able to get him to discuss his video project. He's uh, acquired a substantial uh, equipment that he's going to be using to do some videos of uh, issues connected with individuals who are currently experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. I want everyone to know about the Parkinson's Recovery Summit that's going to be forthcoming this spring. We're going to be having one full day where we're convening together individuals that I have interviewed on my radio show who currently have the symptoms of Parkinson's or do not 
and are symptom-free, as well as people who are practitioners of one kind or another who are doing wonderful therapies for people who have the symptoms of Parkinson's. The idea is not that you're going to be talked at or talked to or sold to. You're going to be connecting. That is, you're going to be meeting and networking other individuals who have figured out ways to get relief from their symptoms. Many of you may be thinking, well, is it really possible for me to recover? Is it really possible for me to get sustained relief from the symptoms that I am currently experiencing? You may have been listening to my interviews with individuals who tell their stories. Well, the Parkinson's Recovery Summit is one way for me to convince you I'm not a ventriloquist. These are real people who have real stories to convey. So this is going to be your opportunity to connect with other individuals who are truly and genuinely on the road to recovery. It's a way to be able to confront that false belief template out there that Parkinson's is degenerative and progressive. It is not progressive in the sense that things get worse. It can be progressive in the sense that the symptoms can get better. The Parkinson's Recovery Summit will cost the grand sum of nothing. It's a free event entirely sponsored by Parkinson's Recovery. And I want to invite anyone and everyone from the East Coast, from the Midwest, from the South, from the West, from Canada, from Europe, from Asia, to come to the Parkinson's Recovery Summit. It will be held in Vancouver, Washington. That's not Vancouver, Canada, but Vancouver, Washington. This spring, we'll be announcing the date or the day of that event soon. It's the first event that we've ever uh, actually sponsored like this, and I want everyone to know I am totally excited about the potential for what can happen as we convene everyone together that is clear in their heart and their mind and in their soul that yes it is possible for me to be able to recover and yes the body knows how to heal itself I also want everyone to know that if you're not currently receiving the Parkinson's Recovery newsletter, be sure to enter your email address. No names are required. You can do that by visiting the main website, and that's parkinsonsrecovery.com. The word Parkinson's without an apostrophe joined together with the word recovery.com. If you don't remember that, no worry. If you can just remember the two words, the first word Parkinson's and the second word recovery, you'll find that any search engine will pop up the parkinsonsrecovery.com website as number one. And again, just enter your email address. I can promise you that the only thing that we do with addresses is to send out reminders about the radio shows and also some information about what we're discovering in the research that we're doing about the many different therapies that are making a big difference to people who are currently experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's. Yes, people are recovering. Yes, people are becoming symptom-free. We're documenting those stories, and you're hearing about them on the radio show, your opportunity to actually see firsthand in the flesh people who are recovering and who are on the road recovering will be at the Parkinson's Recovery Summit one full day, one event that will be the event to end all events. We're going to follow up the Parkinson's Recovery Summit on the second and third day with our annual Jump Start to Wellness Program. Again, that will be in Vancouver, Washington, with the dates to be announced. We're now negotiating with the hotel to be able to firm up exactly when we're going to hold and sponsor that particular event. The Jumpstart to Wellness program focuses on the seed thoughts or the thought forms that are responsible for whatever symptoms you might be actually currently experiencing. We teach you how to identify those thoughts on those seeds 
that are the cause of what might be currently uh, symptoms that you are experiencing. And we then release those and replace those with the thoughts that are conducive to uh, allowing your body to return to full health and balance and wellness. We help you figure out the therapies that will make the biggest difference. There are at least 44 that we've identified that are helping people with Parkinson's get relief from their symptoms. The question is, you can't do them all, which ones are going to be those that will give you the biggest bang for the buck? And so we'll help you figure that out for yourself. Again, this is an experiential event. This is an experience where we'll help you figure out a plan for yourself. We also help you figure out the causes uh, that are responsible for your current symptoms. It will be a truly exciting event, not only for those of us that will be sponsoring this, but for all of the individuals who will be convening together at both the Parkinson's Recovery Summit that one day and also the Jumpstart to Wellness program, those two days of experiences where you are able to be able to truly and genuinely get a jumpstart on your own recovery. Again, next week on the radio show, you will be hearing Bobby uh, tell his story about how he has become symptom-free. On a program later this month, you'll be hearing Dr. Matt Ford, who will be here to talk about how he uses music therapy to provide sustained and, I might say, substantial relief to individuals who are currently experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's. Dr. Ford is an assistant professor from the Department of Physical Therapy. As always, we have a number of fascinating guests. Some of the individuals are people who are professionals, professors, doctors, healthcare providers of one type or another who work with individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's and who have figured out approaches that are natural, safe, non-invasive, have no side effects, and that by George work. We also interview individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's who are able to convey what they have discovered are making a big difference to their own recovery. We have a toll-free line at Parkinson's Recovery. Feel free to call that at any time if you have any questions whatsoever. That toll-free line is 877-526-4646. It's been, indeed, a high pleasure. This is Robert Rogers. You are connected to Parkinson's Recovery. We see you here at the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network every Wednesday afternoon, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also uh, call in during the show and talk or ask questions uh, with our guests. So please tune in each and every week. You can also listen to the shows by visiting the radio show page and getting downloads or sitting at your computer and listening to the shows that I have aired over the last several years. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all of the women are smart, all of the men are handsome, and all of the children are truly loved. I look forward to seeing each of you at the Parkinson's Recovery Summit this spring. Know by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today that you are indeed on the road to recovery. Good day.